Seven deadly sins, seven ways to win, seven holy paths to hell and your trip begins. Seven downward slopes, seven blooded hopes, seven are your burning fires, seven your desires. What? What's that? Moonchild. Yeah, yeah, but I mean the sound. I thought you were doing keyboard. Yeah, I couldn't get the Yamaha Porter sound off Michael Patterson. He wouldn't let me borrow it. So what was that then? A recorder. A recorder? An Iron Maiden? <sighs> Q Invaders. Hello, I'm Wayne, and this is my Iron Maiden podcast, sponsored by WA Brown Butchers, the best sausages in Stetchford to go with your chips and beans, in 1988. On these shows, I look at the songs of Iron Maiden, and how they influenced me growing up as a boy in 1980s Birmingham. I'm on a new series, which is the album Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. This came out in 1988, so we're still just in the 1980s. 1988 was my last year at primary school, so an important time for me. So it was good that an Iron Maiden album came out to help me through this difficult transition in life. This week I'm looking at the song Moonchild, which is track one on the Seventh Son of a Seventh Son album. However, last week I finished off the Somewhere in Time series with an album review special. I've had a few comments on it. Now some people aren't up to date, and I get a few messages from people who are catching up or listening to it you know, a few series back, I had someone recently say, oh, just listen to your Christmas special. And this was in May, so I don't know how that felt, listening to Trevor's Atari 2600 story in, in a hot day in May. But uh, yeah, still people are listening to it at different points of the podcast. Not everyone's up to date like you are. Anyway, I had a few comments following the Alexander the Great episode from two weeks ago uh, that maybe I didn't get to read out last time. I had a comment from David McDermott, who said that he understands that the lyrics can be thought of as too encyclopedic. But ever since he first heard it, he felt that the music is what tells the story, the guitars that help weave the tale, and sound both Persian and futuristic. This is a good summary of the song and a a nice perspective. So thanks for that, David. I also had a message from Sporkford about this episode, and he said that Alexander the Great is his favourite song on the Somewhere in Time album, now this is an old joke, but I'm glad to hear from him, or her. Interestingly, they mentioned the bracket in the song title. Uh, not many people would have used that. So once again, this is perhaps a clue to the identity of Sporkford, and it narrows down the list of suspects. I've had Corky send a dilemma to me, and he sent a photograph of the band from the period of the Somewhere in Time album. And in that picture, they're wearing their watches on different arms, Now, Corky says he was always taught that you wore your watch on your left arm. And I agree with this. This is what happened in Birmingham in the 1980s. All my Casio calculator watch on my left hand. So I'd lift it up and look slightly to the left. And I'd see what the time was. Nowadays, I see people wearing watches on their right hand. But it's upside down. So they sort of twist their arm to look at the time. This might be quite fashionable in some suburbs. But I don't like it. 
I'm not sure what Iron Maiden were playing at in the 1980s, with some of them wearing it on their left arm and some of them wearing it on their right arm. Maybe this was deliberate, so that it would create a talking point 35 years later. But I'm not sure. Maybe they're just a bit confused. Or maybe it's another example of Iron Maiden defying convention. Following my concerns last week about people eating their breakfast while Trevor went through his top three and revealed that he might listen to one of the songs naked with Pamela, I did have some people sending in photographs or information about what they were having for breakfast while they listened to the podcast. Now, it seems as if there's a bit of a split uh, between the listeners. Um, I had people on Facebook who, who perhaps have cereals and, uh, again, a mixture of quality cereals. Some have shreddies, some have wee toes, uh, some have cocoa pops, which is disappointing. But uh, that's okay. I can categorise them. But then, on Twitter... I had this sort of almost middle class picture from Fecky Metal Podcast, and he's been eating a sort of pastry and coffee. Oh, that's that's quite nice, isn't it? It's all right for some. But I don't want to stereotype my listeners. Um, you know, I might have an image of them eating certain things, but uh, I suppose it shows that it's quite a diverse listenership. So, uh, yeah, it's good. So, whatever you're eating for your breakfast, I'm not going to judge you, um, and I won't name and shame you again. Um, so, you can eat what you like. So it's, not, it's up to you, isn't it? Anyway, it's a new album, so that's exciting. Moonchild. The song starts off with this sort of intro that I'd argue maybe not even part of the song. It's more of an intro to the whole album, but it's tacked on at the beginning of Moonchild. It's an acoustic sort of opening, and uh, that's all it is. Acoustic guitar strumming. And then Bruce does his series of vocal lines, seven deadly sins, seven ways to win. He repeats seven, seven times. That's clever, isn't it? Now, I don't want to do any spoilers, but the album ends in this way as well, which sort of brings it to a natural close. And that's because it's a concept album. Now, you may remember that Somewhere in Time wasn't a concept album. It was an album which was thematically about a concept. So that hopefully makes sense, the, the concept being time. Once this intro bit is finished, there's sort of a, a sound sort of drawing you in, it's gradually rising in volume. And then all of a sudden, this sort of keyboard effect happens. And it is a keyboard I don't think it is a guitar synth this time, like the last album. It sounds more like a traditional keyboard to me. It's a, it's a nice sound, quite energetic and flowing, and it sort of flutters around a bit. And then this driving guitar comes in to sort of set the tone. It's a great opening. And then after this, goes on a bit and then you get this sort of stompy bit and then when you think oh this is great can't go on any longer it stops you get this sort of almost thunderbolt crash thing and then the song begins and then they all come in together there's Bruce with the singing and this is a great opener when they play live because you've got that build up and then when they all come in the lights go up and you can see everybody running around it's good Builds the tension up for you before they all come on stage. This was the opener, of course, for this tour at the time, 1988. This keyboard bit is quite quick. And later on in their career, Adrian played this bit live with a guitar. And I'll come to that later. It's quite a hard tune to whistle. And fans of whistling 
may be pleased to know that I'm going to revisit this because I haven't done this since Wasted Years, where I tried to whistle the opening sequence, the guitar part, and I failed. And I had someone else sort of send in a, a video clip of them whistling it, and I don't want to be rude, but I think they struggled with it as well. It was difficult, and that just shows the complexity of Iron Maiden and their riffs. Anyway, you're not listening to this to hear me waffle on. Here's me whistling it now. So that was rubbish, isn't it? It's really hard. Maybe if I slow it down a bit. I've sort of mixed blowing and sucking there, which perhaps isn't the sort of thing you want to hear on a podcast. But uh, that's how I have to whistle in order to get the notes in. So yeah, it's difficult, obviously, to whistle. And to play on the recorder, apparently. Moonchild was written by Adrian Smith and Bruce Dickinson. So that's good news, isn't it? They've clearly made up after the last album where Bruce didn't write anything and Adrian wrote on his own. I don't think they did fall out. It's just that Bruce perhaps wasn't motivated by the themes and the sound of that album. So obviously here, he's more interested and he liked the idea of this concept album. And because he's involved, this means it's his lyrics, so they might not be as obvious as Steve Harris's or as accessible as Adrian's. You may recall previous lyrics of his in Revelations and Power Slave with sort of references to literature and other things. The title Moonchild isn't a word. Moonchild isn't in the dictionary. And I still used the dictionary at the age of 11. But I knew that Moonchild was made up of two words. Moon and child. And I knew what these meant. But together, I didn't know what they were trying to do. I knew other similar words to this that made up the titles of some children's television in the 1980s in, in the UK. There was a programme on BBC One called Moondial. And this was interesting because this rhymed with Moonchild and it also came out in 1988. So to me, these two things are linked. Now, you may not have seen Moondial. Um, you know, maybe it wasn't shown in your country. Or even if you're from the UK, you know, maybe before your time or maybe after your time. And it was quite an obscure thing. I believe it's got a cult following today. It left an impression on me because it was quite scary. It was about this girl and uh, she had to stay with her aunt. And there was some sort of moon dial in the garden of a mansion. It was based on a book by Helen Cresswell for children. Now she could travel through time using this moon dial to some sort of distant land, using it as like a portal. And this sounds a bit far-fetched, doesn't it? You probably wouldn't put this in a children's book today. You can see it on YouTube, and I watched the title sequence the other day, and it gave me chills, even 30 years later. Uh, although I did find watching most of the first episode, I-, I found it more satisfying than when I had to sit through an episode of Gem for the Flash of the Blade episode. There's also a children's TV show a bit earlier than this, called Mooncat. Although it's called Get Up and Go, and then it was called Mooncat and Co., um, so, but it had this character called Mooncat in it. Um, and that was about a cat from the moon. The first line of the song is, I am he, the bornless one. So that's that's an intriguing start. Uh, I, I would ask straight away, who are you? Because I was always told it was polite to introduce yourself before you start talking about other things. I learned this from my mum when I was a boy. And I also learned it in my call centre training in one of my early jobs where you have to answer the phone to the public. You have to tell them your name. It's just polite. 
And I adopt these in my podcast, you may notice, where, first of all, I tell you what my name is, right at the top, even though you should know it by now after over 65 episodes. And it's also in the title. But I still introduce myself because it's polite. Maybe Bruce didn't know this was good etiquette. But we do find out later that this person's name is Lucifer. You might argue that this is a nice structure because you're sort of questioning who it is for that first verse until he finally reveals it. And you go, ah, right, you're Lucifer. Maybe I should listen again now. Maybe that puts what you've said before into context. Well, they've probably guessed already. Lucifer is a name for the devil. Um, There was nobody called Lucifer at my school. Some girls called Lucy, uh, but they were in the year below, uh, so I didn't speak to them. I should point out that Lucy isn't short for Lucifer. So from what we know so far, it's a song that's from the point of view of the devil. And in this case, he wants his seventh son to be killed as a child before he can grow and be strong and defeat Lucifer himself. So the moon child is this seventh son as a boy or a baby. There's a few themes here that we've had before in Iron Maiden songs. The battle between good and evil. We've got seven angels and seven demons battle for his soul. So yeah, these these which way will he go, this this path. We've had that as early as the Killers album, perhaps perhaps even before then. But regardless of the choice, the devil's gonna get him anyway. So he'll be damned if he commits suicide. And then if he grows old, he'll torment him. Uh, is like a curse? This is the start of the whole concept then. And a concept album is like a story. So this is the beginning of, of the child's life. And it's linked to a book by Orson Scott Card, which was written in 1987, called Seventh Son. So some of the lyrics refer to this a little bit. There's a bit that says, One baby cries, one mother grieves. And this may relate to, in the book, where the older son dies as the moon child is born because they're twins. And twins are mentioned later in the song. So, yeah, there's a few references to this book. There's also the, the whole notion of fate, which I've talked about a few times, and that'll be more prominent later because we've got songs on the album called The Clairvoyant and The Prophecy. So, yeah, again, it's all about fate. And obviously the devil thinks that if certain things happen now, then certain things will definitely happen in the future. So he's sort of influencing the choices in the future. So maybe the devil can travel through time. There's some biblical references as well. We've got Gabriel, the angel, who, who tells Mary that she's pregnant with Jesus. But in this song, he's asleep, so he can't tell anybody anything. So because of that, the child is born to die. But I don't think it is Jesus. But I suppose it makes you think of Herod, doesn't it? King Herod, who is killing children. They're born to die. There's references to the book of Revelation, which again is all about good and evil. The seventh seal, that's something in it. There's also references to Moonchild, which was a book by Alistair Crowley. Bruce Dickinson was influenced by Alistair Crowley in Revelations. So there's some repetition here. The Bornless Ritual is is from that. Also the name of Babylon, um, which is quoted in the lyrics of Babylon the place. But Babylon was like a god. And she was known as the Scarlet Woman. So that makes a bit more sense with Babylon the Scarlet Whore. So it's like the... uh, She's a goddess found in the occult system of Thelemar, apparently. So it's quite a complex song with a lot of translations and interpretations that you could get from it. Moonchild, as well as being a book and the title of this song, was also a title by songs by other artists that Iron Maiden would have been aware of. King Crimson and Rory Gallagher. Um, Now, the Rory Gallagher song isn't linked to Iron Maiden, but if you hear the opening, it sounds familiar. (laughs) 
That's right, two minutes to midnight. As Bruce wrote the lyrics, you'd expect his vocal delivery to be very good and, and emphasise things. And he does. It sort of changes between a growl and a gentle deliverer. This is quite effective. In the opening where he says, I am he, the bornless one, as the devil, he is a bit more gruff and growler. But then when he gets a bit more fancy, he sort of softens his tone to sort of emphasise the, the sort of desperation and, and the concept of a race against time about killing him now. Yeah, it's very good. The chorus is good as well, even though it says Moonchild and then a little bit and then it says Moonchild again. The guitar under it is really nice because it's sort of, that's an extra hook really. And then there's this strange phrase that says, hear the mandrake scream. Now, apparently, a mandrake isn't an animal. I thought it was like a mandrill, like one of those apes or baboons with a, the funny face and, and the big bottom. But it isn't. It's a plant. If you pull it out of the ground, it screams. And in folklore, it would kill anyone who heard this scream or condemn them to hell, depending on which folklore you were looking at. So I learned this from my maiden, so that's nice. There's a nice change of tone where they sort of go into this middle section where it says the twins, they are exhausted. That's a bit of drama. And there's this strange echo on some of the words. I'm not sure it needs to do this so many times. It sort of does it. There's three echoes on night, rising and soul. I think just doing this once would have been enough. Just emphasise one word. But they repeat the trick, which I don't know if I'm keen on them. We haven't had one of these for a while. It's Dave Harris's diary. It's Dave Harris's diary. It's Dave Harris's diary. It's Dave Harris's diary. February, 1988. Oh, the album's coming out soon. Can't wait for it. We did a lot in Essex this time, so it's nice to focus on the songs rather than our surroundings. You can tell Bruce is more interested with his concept album. He's been putting fruit on his shredded wheat again. It's quite interesting how it all started. I was reading this book, drinking Seven Up in the Sun by the pool, and this idea came to me. Seven? Sun? And a book I was reading at the time was Seventh Sun. <laughs> there it was, the album title. Oh, it's great when that happens. It's not all good news though. Pound notes are going out of circulation next month. Means I've got those pesky pound coins weighing down my pockets. It's disappointing. Looks a bit tight. Seller taping pound coins to birthday cards for your nephews. The gift won't seem as special. It's Dave Harris's diary. It's Dave Harris's diary. It's Dave Harris's diary. It's Dave Harris's diary. I think the song is clearly an impressive opener. I think it's right for where it is. I think I preferred this song when I was a bit younger, though, because it had this sort of drama and impact and a catchy chorus. So that that's, ticks a lot of boxes. I like the change in the midsection, as I said. It's quite abrupt, but it keeps the momentum. It doesn't sort of throw it off anywhere new. Uh, so I like this. I don't know if I'd put this song on in isolation or out of context. And uh, the fact that it's got this acoustic intro as part of it makes it feel like it should always be played at the start of this album. When they played it live in 1988, of course, you can hear it because it was recorded for the Made in England video, 
Uh, and if you watch the VHS, uh, when they're doing this acoustic intro, you get images of a band flashing up during it. And then and there they are with their cups of pop backstage, maybe before the show. And uh, Bruce is reading a book, pretending to be intelligent. And it fits him well. It's nice extra as you're waiting for the show to start. Um, and I like looking at these pictures because it's like peak Iron Maiden with their look and their sound and even their age. It's just about to get to the age of 30 at this point. And then the keyboard comes in and then you, you get that extra rise of excitement. And then they've got photos of the band with their tops off, maybe getting ready for the show or changed afterwards. I showed my mum this bit, but she wasn't interested. She just carried on reading a woman's own magazine. I noticed in these pictures that Steve is wearing some briefs. In 1988, I was getting to the age where I wanted to wear boxer shorts to appear more grown up. Uh, I thought that when you reach the age of 10, you can wear big boys boxer shorts. A bit like that rule where you have to wear slacks at age 50. But when I saw Steve Harris was wearing briefs, even though he was over the age of 10, I questioned it. I questioned a lot of things. On this live performance, that intro and the opening keyboard are like pre-recordings. So you wonder if the keyboard is therefore in the same tempo as the actual recorded song. How could they have sped it up? Because that happened a lot when they played live, that the tempo was a bit quicker. So you'd think they would have gone from this opening section and played it perfectly. But it does seem to speed up as it kicks in. Um, and if you do watch it, because you see Nico quite a bit, there's almost more emphasis on the drums, those rolls between the lines and the chorus. Very impressive and you can sort of see them rather than just hear them on the record. It's a great performance, and you've got that adrenaline at the start of the show, the first sight of the stage set. Yeah, it's amazing, uh, but strangely, the time of the video is pretty much the same as the original song, despite it seeming quicker. When the next played it, on the Flight 666 period, uh, you'll, you'll notice if you've got the CD, uh, that Moonchild is seven and a half minutes, which is quite a lot longer, isn't it? Um, but then Bruce introduces the band for the first minute and a half. It's sad when you hear this, this is over 13 years ago now. The difference here is that they play the intro live because it's an encore, so it isn't at the start of the set. So there you've got Dave on acoustic guitar strumming it and then uh, Bruce singing it live. And on this version of the song, we get Adrian playing that keyboard intro on the guitar, which is a really nice treat. But what's different again is, of course, they've got three guitarists. So that sound, that guitar pounding sound, sounds even bigger so this is brilliant. Uh, maybe the drums seem less big as a result of this, whether Nico's a bit tireder now. Um, you know, he's 20 years older than the previous time. Um, could be the mix, of course. But then you hear the rolls after the seventh seal bit, and this is nonsense. I was wrong. It, it's the same energy. Brilliant, depend, you know, no matter what the age is. You can see it. With the solo section, it's Adrian and then Dave. So this is good. Not like the usual order. But this is probably because Adrian was in the writing credits. So I've mentioned it being played live, and it was played live at the time, 1988, on that tour for the Seventh Son album. Then it was played 20 years later. He had to wait that long for the Flight 666 era. And it was played again on the Made in England sort of throwback tour in 2012. So it was there for three tours, and it was actually played 264 times live, which is just below Killers in the, the pecking order. And it's the 40th most played song by Iron Maiden, which is quite a surprise for me. Right, I'm going to give Trevor a ring now, see what he's been up to. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Trevor, what are you doing? Speaking to you. Yeah, all right, well, what have you been doing over the week? Well, I'm getting excited because it's Eurovision week, so I've been thinking about that. 
Great. So are you going to watch it all week? You've you, you got semi-finals and then a final? Yeah. I don't want to overdo it, though. might just watch the final. Oh, I thought you were like a big fan. Yeah, I am. I like it. So who's your favourite act, then? Well, I like France. Oh. What, what are you doing? Okay, we like France. That's anyone else? Well, I think it's going to be a good mix to showcase the best songs in Europe with some great staging, breathtaking visuals and some uplifting pop. Are you reading this from the press release? No, that's what I think. Okay, is it, well, there's no point talking about this on an Iron Maiden podcast. Is there any heavy metal? No, not really. Although Finland and Italy have got a more rock song than most people. So, yeah, if you want that, then look at their songs. I don't think Finland will qualify for the final, though. Okay, well, that's disappointing. Anyway, we're talking about Moonchild. Um, what do you think of the song? Yeah, I like it. It's a great intro. Um, straight away, Seven Deadly Sins. And, of course, that brings back the theme of Dr. Faustus. Oh. Well, you can scoff, but it's true. Seven Deadly Sins were characters in Dr. Faustus. And then you've got the angels and demons battling for his soul, like the good angel and the bad angel in Dr. Faustus. Can you stop saying Dr. Faustus, please? They're not going to write a song called Dr. Faustus. You keep going on about it. Well, they don't need to. They've, they've covered the themes in other songs. Okay. But yeah, I'm glad Bruce is back, because we missed his lyrics, didn't we, in the last album? Well, I think the album was good enough without them, personally, but uh, yeah, I suppose that that's it's nice to have him back on track and performing. Yeah. So do you understand all the references in the lyrics? Well, no, not really, but I don't think I want to. I think it's nice to have some mystery. Um, even though we could interpret all the detail, we could go online and Google everything, but it's nice to leave some of it. I don't like having all this knowledge on the internet where we can know everything. I want to leave things unknown. Okay. Any more about the song? Yeah. Well, I used to think it was a song about a child with a moon-shaped face or a child with a face made of cheese. But I find out now the moon isn't made of cheese. What do you mean you find out now? What, last week? Well, no, I mean, compared to when I listened to it in 1988, people said, oh, the moon is made of cheese. But that isn't right. It's impossible. Okay. It's a bit like the character from Enid Blyton's Magic Far Away Tree, Moonface. I imagined him. Right. Yeah, the moon child sounds nice, doesn't he? Like his face lights up the night. I remember a man in a nightclub in Birmingham whose face lit up. How did that work then? Well, I think he just had ultraviolet things on his face. So in... In the club, you noticed him. He had like a rave snood and fancy piercings. A rave snood? Yeah. Or maybe it was a collar. I don't know what it was called. What sort of club was this? I can't remember. You weren't there. Well, you know, obviously. It was nice to see his face in the dark. I think sometimes I feel like Pamela's face lights up my life. But I'm not going to call her my moon child, though. I call her my little... No, I don't want to... No, can we stop there, please? We don't want to know about pet names. Uh, this has gone far enough. We were talking about Moonchild by Iron Maiden, and you've, you've waffled on about cheese, any blighting books, and some man in a club wearing a rave snood. That That isn't the essence of the song to me. I, I don't think you should talk to me like this. We've had more feedback about you. Oh, right, yeah. Well, OK. Let's, I suppose you want to talk about that then. Yes, that's right. Um, this week and other weeks. I had feedback about how I treat Trevor uh, or how I speak to him. 
Um, this week it was Uncle Steve's turn. Uh, he said I was a jerk to Trevor, apparently. Uh, and this is e- extremely strange because normally he sticks up for me or, or is very critical of Trevor and agrees with me on Trevor's nonsense and wasting time. But uh, anyway, this time, yeah, he sticks up for Trevor. And, and this is like ridiculous. It's like he's had an accident and, and someone else has taken over his account. I did wonder this. Maybe he's been hacked. Yeah, I, I did listen back just to see, and I couldn't see anything out of order. I, I think I've um, maybe I took away his questions or your questions, Trevor, because you're still there, of course. Yeah, I am. But uh, yeah, other than that, I was just reacting to your nonsense. Um, I think I was quite within reason. Although Uncle Steve did like your sound effect on the number three. That's good. Does that mean I can do it again? Well, I, you're not going to say number three, are you, for a while? Maybe the album review show next time in eight weeks. Great. But you don't have to. Okay. Well, I think taking away those three questions did cause uproar, because that was a nice feature. Um, Yeah, didn't get them last week, so maybe you could bring them back. All right, well, I said this in the episode. I said it was a different thing because of the album review show. So, yeah, different format, different rules. So I, I, I don't feel I was out of order. All right, well, then the good news is I'm bringing back those three questions. Um, so here you go. This is a good one to ask. Now we've covered it, is Moonchild the best opener of the 1980s? Do you just mean Iron Maiden openers or other bands? Well, just Iron Maiden, of course. It's an Iron Maiden podcast. I haven't got time to think about George Michaels or Madonna or someone. It's just, just Iron Maiden openers. OK. Um, no. No what? No, it's not the best opener of the 1980s for Iron Maiden. OK. Do you want to ca- carry on a bit? Well... I suppose this and Aces High might be the best live openers. I think they're good ones to get you in the mood for the show. But for album openers, I think I prefer Where Eagles Dare and Caught Somewhere in Time. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, Question two. Is this the best Iron Maiden song so far, beginning with M? Well, so do you mean up to 1988? Or can I include Oh, Well, it's up to you, isn't it? There's not too many perhaps at this stage. Yeah, do all of their songs then. All right. Well, I can only think of that. A Murders in the Room Morgue, that's it. So, I mean, they're all good. But, yeah, maybe maybe Moonchild is the best of those three. Okay, well, you could have had Man on the Edge, Mother of Mercy, Mother Russia. And there's a couple of others, but B-sides. Well, yeah, okay. Well, I still think Moonchild. Yeah, okay. And what do you think of the keyboards in this song and this album? Is this the third question? Yeah. So it's number three. 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 Oh, come on. You said I could use it next time I said number three. Yeah, well, I didn't expect it to be this episode. Anyway, the question was about the keyboards. Yeah, I like it. I think it's a good development and... It's a bit more obvious than the, the synth in Somewhere in Time. And I quite like Marillion at the time, um, but it doesn't sound like them. Um, although the inclusion of keyboards makes this album seem that more proggy, I suppose, in the sound. OK, so you're happy with that then. That's good. So thanks for that. Uh, and of course, uh, poem time. So uh, you've got a poem about Moonchild? Yeah, I'll read it now. The Moonchild had his bathroom tiled with a nice new shower, so he soon smiled. 
It was a pleasant, crescent present from his uncle Bob. Okay. Well, in fairness, I, I thought you were going to stop after soon smiled, and I would have been a, a bit disappointed. But now I wish you had. What's his uncle Bob business? I think you're missing the point. I'm saying. I'm not missing the point. I'm saying that this moon child might be different, but he can do things we do. He can be happy about home improvements and get gifts. Okay, well, I understood that, that he's, he's got a new bathroom, but why is he from his uncle Bob? Well, I, I thought I was okay. I thought if I'd said it was from his Aunt Jemima, people might ask questions. Well, I'm asking a question about Uncle Bob. Well, I won't worry about it. Well, I am. This is a. Why put that detail in? If it's just some throwaway remark? Well, I don't know. That's for you to find out or, or think about. Maybe wonder why Uncle Bob gave him a new shower and bathroom. So it was a pleasant... Hang on. So it was a pleasant, crescent... It was a pleasant, crescent present, it says. So it was shaped like a moon, a crescent, the shower. Yeah, that's a nice thought. But why is this boy, or this moon child... Why is, why is he a moon child? Well, that's the, the theme of the song, isn't it? It gave me the poem inspiration. Again, you can wonder that. Maybe there's a second verse. Okay, maybe I've spent too long questioning this. I'll get criticised again, but I don't want you just coming up with any old claptrap. It's not claptrap. Okay, well, next week we've got Infinite Dreams, so uh, surely that's probably going to give you more inspiration. Due to the nature of infinity and the nature of dreams, I suppose that could... You could do anything with that, couldn't you? Uh, let's hope it's uh, relevant and good. Yeah, it will be. Okay, we'll uh, speak to you next week then. Okay, thanks Wayne. Bye. Right, you can follow me on social media. I'm at Wayne Maiden on Twitter. You can also find me on other socials. I believe that's what people call it now. Follow me on the socials, that's what they say. So you can do that. Follow me there. And uh, yeah, follow me on whatever the podcast place you, you are at is. No, um, they call it podcatcher. Follow me on your podcatcher of choice. So then I'm not sort of saying Apple or Spotify because, you know, you might not listen on those channels. So, yeah, wherever you're listening to me, follow me there as well because then you'll get the new episode when it comes out. And that's important. And if you follow me, that improves my ranking and visibility to other people wanting to hear a podcast about Iron Maiden and Birmingham in the 1980s because there might be a few more people out there I've had a message from Sammy Stumpy Bateman who says, when can Trevor come round to your house now? Because he believes restrictions have been lifted in Birmingham and the UK so people can mingle indoors. So why is Trevor still on the phone? Well, this is a good question. And maybe Trevor will come round to play and have some tea. Uh, I might cook him some dinner. But yeah, I think some people might complain then that the continuity's gone. You know, oh, we want Trevor back on the phone. We like that. So I can't please everybody. It's a bit like the uh, Invaders at the start or the previously on Wayne's Iron Maiden podcast. It polarises people. I don't want my podcast to polarise people. I've seen the results of Adrian Smith's survey about crab paste sandwiches and climbing a beanstalk. The world's a, a difficult place. Uh, people have got opinions and I can't always cope with that. Talking of Adrian, uh, he will be back next week. He was waiting to see the results of people's views about whether Yannick should climb the beanstalk or go back down for some crab paste sandwiches. Um, so... Uh, now he's got that, hopefully uh, he'll be able to write the story for, for the, the will of the people. So that's Moonchild, and a very good opener. Uh, as Trevor says, I think I agree with him, um, we've had four strong openers in a row, and they're good, they work well live, 
or as an album opener. So we sport of a choice there. Um, but yeah, Moonchild, a bit more abstract because of Bruce's lyrics, but but still a very good energy. And that's what it was all about as a child. I perhaps didn't need to know what all these things meant. It was just nice. And, uh, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, I'll speak to you next week with Infinite Dreams. So uh, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.